Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. On a day like this, it seems to be only one question appropriate to begin our show. Simply put, how about them dogs? 51-13 against Kentucky on Saturday. A lot to discuss from the game, but it seems appropriate to begin here. To the extent that there were doubters for Georgia here during this offseason, one of the questions they brought up, perhaps fairly so, was how would Georgia make the transition to a new starting quarterback? You had had the same starting quarterback for each of Georgia's last two national championship seasons. New quarterback here right now. There was skepticism out there about Carson Beck. And Beck was apparently noticing all of that because as he goes out last night and has the game of his at least short-lived life on Saturday by thrashing Kentucky, putting up more than 300 yards, big stats in the first half, four touchdown passes overall. Apparently, Beck has been paying attention to everything that has been said about him. And whatever you want to use for your fuel and whatever you want to use for your motivation, this is a Georgia team that last year was certainly – feeding off of what it kind of viewed as some doubters feeding off of people who were naysayers even if some of that was exaggerated by nolan smith it still seemed to work and apparently this team's got a little bit of that left over in it there as well because back on instagram this has been shared widely on social media let me show you what carson beck put out on sunday about the idea of uh what motivates you more than anything he says disrespect or at least he uh, uses this little meme here to kind of let folks know that right now he is being he is motivated and being fueled by what he views as disrespect how much of that was there for Carson Beck Uh, I don't know I guess certain people have seen more than others perhaps when it comes to that but realistically moving forward the only thing that there will be the only thing that there should be is a high level of respect because right now Carson Beck is playing at a very high level as Georgia's starting quarterback all doubts seemingly now removed about whether or not he's the kind of guy that can lead Georgia to where it wants to go if he continues to play not just the way that he played on Saturday his best game thus far but for the totality of this season first half which concluded uh, there on Saturday first half of the regular season which concluded on Saturday then Carson Beck is more than capable of being air quotes here the guy for Georgia But Saturday also represented not just a continuation of what has been going on for Georgia, but also a new step forward for just how dominant this offense can be. Georgia had failed to score 30 points in its two previous game against SEC teams, but put up 50 on Saturday and played consistently for the full four quarters of the game. Now, when it was over, Beck attributed that higher level of explosiveness that better level of success to a little bit of a different edge from Georgia during practice he was pressed on exactly what he meant by that this was the explanation Carson offered now we'll tell you locker room stuff after the game which is really more like outside the locker room you know kind of underneath the stadium you got people cheering you got stuff being moved this is not like awesome audio from Carson because of all the room noise that's going on there but hopefully you can still make out what he says here in terms of why he felt like the edge that Georgia had at practice this week was so different this is what Carson said and obviously we have an SEC East opponent uh, that's our goal to win the SEC East uh, we're coming into our house and we're at home we know the fans are going to bring the energy so that's going to help us a little bit but just throughout the day you know having the mindset and the focus to come out strong and to execute on every single point that you know we're trying to make and trying to get better on uh, that's how we focus 
So a lot going on there, obviously. But at the end, what Beck says is, hey, different mindset, different focus, playing an SEC East team. This in a roundabout way was sort of a de facto I want to say it's a, I mean, there's still many more games to go, but in the eyes of a lot of people, this would be the game that decided the SEC East because Kentucky was ranked and unbeaten. And so therefore Georgia, according to Beck, had a different level of energy at practice because of the stakes of this game. And the fact they did want to execute at a more complete and a higher level uh, in a game like this than they had at any point in time this season. That is an idea that Kirby Smart did not quite agree with that, that they had done some different things at practice. Smart sort of push back on that notion when he spoke in his post-game press conference on Saturday but nonetheless was very impressed with the way that his offense played overall this is Smart's response to the same topic he didn't do anything different in practice I mean I don't, I don't know what he's referring to um, uh, maybe offense changed something up start faster I, I, I don't know we, we did the same practices we, we've been doing um, I attribute the success starting to uh, execution uh, Carson was really in rhythm early and then when you run the ball and you have play action and your offensive line protects, you have good throwers and catchers, you, you're going you're gonna to do well. I mean, they did well with us. When you have good pass protectors and a good thrower and you've got the ability to run the ball, it makes it, makes it hard to defend as a defensive team because they stand back there, they have all day because they're protected and you can't cover them that long. I mean, this is just so true. And one of the things you sometimes hear in football, the idea of playing both left-handed and right-handed, that doesn't mean left side or right side. Oftentimes that means the ability to throw when you want to, to run when you want to. When you're kind of throwing punch with both hands, you know, you become a very tough team to deal with. And perhaps when Carson says, hey, things were different at practice, maybe what he's also referencing there was, you know, the idea there was such an emphasis put on the whole notion of Bloody Tuesday. You know, that's been the thing that Georgia's been famous for for a long time, that excessively physical practices on Tuesday to make sure that the game feels easier than the the stuff you've been doing during practice. That was apparently ratcheted up a notch, as you might expect, because Kentucky does have a little bit of reputation for being physical that it's itself and so therefore Georgia wanted to be the more physical of the two teams Georgia has needed to get its running game going at a little bit different rate Kendall Milton's healthy return on Saturday made that more possible healthier than he's been all year long he's at 5.9 yards per carry uh Dejon Edwards is at six, six yards per carry offensive line moving piles opening holes creating opportunities and that sort of bloody Tuesday style physicality that Georgia put on display during practice as Smart said that's probably one of the things that did help this passing attack be as potent as it was and y'all that's what Georgia has been and we're going to get more into this here in a moment but Saturday was a day in which Georgia just sort of felt like Georgia, right? I mean, this was the Georgia that we have seen for so much of the last couple of years, and this is the Georgia that we saw on Saturday. But Carson Beck, rightly, is also going to get a lot of the credit for that. I thought it was really fun at the end of the game, Kendall Milton, who we mentioned a moment ago, coming back healthy from injury, having himself a very nice game, being a very big contributor to this Georgia offensive performance. But when you look at the four touchdowns, when you look at all that uh, – that Carson Beck was doing through the air Kendall Milton after the game had a very fun comparison for Beck once again what he was seeing from Carson and how he was propelling that Georgia off offense for the full four quarters on Saturday this is what Milton said about that well, I'm proud of Carson I told Carson he's shooting out there like Steph Curry you know but you know I'm proud of my boy because at the end of the day uh he's been talked about so much he's been doubted he's been you know overlooked and you know, for him to come out and have a game like this, you know, I'm happy for him, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, Carson, he's one of the most humble piece, humble people I know. I know he's going to go on, go and film tomorrow, see what he did wrong, and come back on Monday and, you know, make those correct changes. 
I think to a certain extent, some of the doubt, some of the skepticism that perhaps has existed around back from national media types, whomever else, some of that I think is just a byproduct of the extra scrutiny a quarterback gets at a place like Georgia because the standard is winning a national championship. And so while you could look at Carson Beck's overall skill set, I don't think anyone has doubted could he be a good quarterback. I don't think anyone has doubted could he be a capable quarterback. But the questions end up being, can this be the kind of quarterback that can lead Georgia to a national championship? It's just a different level of scrutiny. It's the same kind of stuff that Georgia faces as a team. When it's undefeated through five games and yet there's nitpicking going on and things being kind of heavily scrutinized, it's not because people don't think Georgia's good. It's because when you aspire to be number one, there is just a different level of analysis that's going to take place. And so even under the biggest possible microscope, when you looked at Georgia on Saturday, yeah, looked the part of being number one. And when you look at Carson Beck, once again, under the biggest possible microscope, even those who like Reese Davis and others who've kind of said, yeah, can Carson Beck be the kind of quarterback that leads Georgia to a national championship? On Saturday, Carson Beck certainly proved himself capable of doing that. We don't know what the less, the next few games are going to look like. The next hopeful nine games left on this Georgia schedule are going to look like what the outcome of those games are going to be. But we certainly, if you're a Georgia fan or just an observer of college football, have enough evidence to now suggest that Beck has absolutely solidified his spot here as the Bulldogs' starting quarterback. He's a big fan favorite at the moment and certainly someone who is very seemingly capable of taking Georgia to all the heights that it aspires to go to before this season comes to an end. Now, with that said, I want to shift gears to something else because ultimately – This is what I believe the biggest takeaway from Saturday was. When you go out and limit Kentucky to 13 points and go out there and score 50-plus on your own, all of a sudden after a 6-0 start for Georgia, everything suddenly feels very normal again. For a good while here now, I think we would say there are certain aspects of the season. In fact, I've even said this a couple of times. There are certain aspects of the season – that have just sort of felt a little bit weird to me. The games were kind of piling up. The season was getting away from us in terms of the fact that you sort of blink your eyes and it's halfway done. And it feels like we were still sort of waiting to see the best of Georgia, waiting to see everything that Georgia could be, perhaps wondering if this was just going to be a Georgia team that has some limitations. And you could point to this game or the one half of this game or the one quarter of this game. and You could sort of start circling these sort of small sample sizes and saying, hey, if this is all Georgia is and then Georgia's below – a national championship level well it's amazing how quickly one big game can kind of change the the mentality around a team and a lot of this is not just perception a lot of this can actually be measured with statistics because after Saturday's game there's actually kind of an amazing thing that's occurred for Georgia they are now essentially like right back to where they've always been I want to show this on the screen here for a moment um so these are Georgia's rankings and the stats that kind of matter the most to me because they're the easiest to understand. It's the number of points you score, the number of points you give up, what you do on a per-play basis, the yards per play you get on offense, and the yards per play you allow on defense. There are fancier stats than that, but I'm not quite so sure those fancier stats get you to anything more revealing and truthful than just sort of basic counting stats here that are, I think, pretty easy to understand. And if you're doing very well in stats like this, you're just probably doing very well overall. So here is where Georgia now ranks in what I think are easy to understand, very telling and predictive stats. Georgia, when it comes to the points they're scoring per game, they are 10th in America right now at 40.7 points per game. When it comes to offensive yards per play, Georgia's also 10th in America right now at 7.14 yards per play. On the defensive side of the ball, 
Georgia allowing 13 points per game. That's also good for 10th in America. Uh, when it comes to uh, yards per play allowed on defense, Georgia's ninth right now, allowing 4.32 yards per play. That all sounds pretty good, but let me give you some additional context. The thing that made Georgia, Georgia last two years was is that Georgia essentially was about the only team in America kind of playing at like a top 10 level or certainly a top five level on both offense and defense. That's the complimentary football that Kirby Smart talks about a lot. That's what made Georgia Georgia the last couple of years. There may be an offense that's playing better than Georgia's. There may have been a defense that was close to playing as well as Georgia was, but really nobody in America the last two years has played both offense and defense as well as Georgia's playing on both sides of the ball. Well, guess what? Those numbers that I just gave you, points scored per game, points allowed per game, offensive yards per play, defensive yards per play allowed. Do you know in those four categories, there is only one other team besides Georgia that's in top 10 in all four of those categories? That's Dan Lanning in Oregon. So credit to Lanning for a good season. So here we are after six weeks of the regular season, once again, of the what we think of as true national championship contenders, perhaps Oregon ends up being one, but what we think of as like true national championship contenders, it's sort of just Georgia. Right now, Ohio State's playing better defense, they're playing offense. Right now, you got a team, you know, like uh, Michigan that's played really well defensively. They haven't necessarily, you know, kind of opened things up on offense as of yet. You can sort of go through and sort of cite examples here and examples there that once again, when it comes to both sides of the ball, statistical dominance measured by easy to understand numbers. How many points you score, how many points you allow, what you do on a per play basis in terms of your you know total yards collected here really it's only Oregon that's doing as well as Georgia is in those key important crucial categories so it's not just your perception that says hey it feels like order's kind of been restored here it sort of feels like Saturday did that for a lot of people categories statistically all of a sudden Georgia kind of back to looking where they're supposed to look Georgia picked up 15 new first place votes in the AP poll this week were which were not Georgia, uh, Georgia votes a week ago now Kirby Smith will also tell you humility is also only one week away and that's also important and true to remember let's keep that in mind but for now Georgia's kind of back to where we're used to seeing it be the number one team in the country and for the moment it does not appear at least in my mind that anyone else is particularly close my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us. No matter how you get to us, live on video, 945. That's our first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Twitch, all those video platforms. We're on the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref. We're on all the podcast platforms there as well. So far, so good on those. We had a little bit of a brief hiccup the other day. It got me all hot and bothered and panicked. As it turns out, I probably uh, jumped the gun there on that. Everything seems to be fine. Either way, we're just glad to have you with us. And we're happy to have Pella Window and Door of Georgia bringing it to us here and making it all possible here today. And listen, on Saturday night, between the hedges, what a home field advantage George enjoyed. You talk about being comfortable and happy to be at home. Georgia certainly played that way. And when it comes to being comfortable in your own home there as well, no one helps you do that probably better than our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia because one of the best things you can do to take care of what is perhaps the most important investment you have, your own home, it's the place where your emotional connections are made. It's the place where some of your financial resources are invested and you know contained well, when it comes to taking good care of that, better windows, better doors, great way to do that, especially as it starts to get a little cool outside because, let's face it, it was, what, 40-something degrees this morning. 
that draftiness that kind of starts to creep into your home, that little bit of ooh, that little bit of chill. You don't want to feel that uh, because the windows aren't sealed properly. The doors aren't as nice and good as they could be. Well, Pella Window and Door of Georgia, they're going to make sure your home feels good on the inside, looks good on the outside. That's always a really good thing. Improving your curb appeal, perhaps improving your resale value there as well. Uh, you've heard me say this for years, and now it's time for you to take that next step. Have that no-pressure consultation with a Pella expert to kind of offer advice to you on the installation options, the full product line, financing options, if need be. Uh, they'll show you the samples. And if you go to the Experience Center there in Duluth, and I like this, I have – this is a fancy phrase. I think I have what you call like a tactile fixation. I like to touch things. So I like to like touch like the windows and the doors. You can kind of feel them. It's substantial, right? It's like this is a real product, right? And it's obviously better than this sort of, you know, kind of low grade stuff that other folks might want to kind of push on you. The Pella product is just obviously superior. And so when you go to the Experience Center in Duluth, you can see that for yourself. You can also take advantage of great savings right now. Between now and October 28th, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest until 2025. That's good stuff. So go see them in Duluth or call them, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation is also the website. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Just tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily said they would take good care of you because I am quite confident that they will because Pella window and door of georgia is viewed to be the best all right it's john stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment prior to that i'm gonna go around the doghouse and i did something a little bit weird on friday but i got some good feedback on this and i was i'm always happy when i do something a little bit weird a little bit abstract and it kind of lands with people the way that i want it to and it seemed like on friday this kind of landed what i said going into the game against kentucky for whatever reason a game that seemingly had nothing to do with Kentucky was kind of on my mind. Uh, I was thinking a lot about the Orange Bowl against Michigan in 2021 or at the end of the 2021 season. And I was kind of thinking about the idea of the way in which Georgia said it played with a chip on its shoulder that day, coming out and having a chip on its shoulder on Saturday, that'd be really good. But also the biggest takeaway was, and this was the part that people seem to really enjoy, uh, and we'll kind of make this sort of our Brocktober update for today, if you will. But um, what I'd said going into the uh, to Friday on Friday's show, going into Saturday's game against Kentucky, is I always thought it was really, really telling that Georgia, knowing that Michigan, smart, defensive-minded football staff over there, Jim Harbaugh is a good coach. Michigan's a very good team. Uh, you know, certainly a part of this playoff conversation here this year. Uh, absolutely. Uh, perhaps the biggest threat to Georgia nationally. Maybe that's what Michigan is here right now. We'll find that out maybe in the weeks to come. But the point is, against a good Michigan team, uh, Michigan having seen the way in which Georgia was using Brock Bowers as a freshman, what we said was, with a week, with a month, I should say, to stop and prepare its defense to stop Brock Bowers, the fact of the matter is, they threw to Bowers three times in the opening drive, including a wide open touchdown. And at that point in time, the uh, the the stage was set for a dominant Georgia win, all because Michigan's hopes of stopping Brock Bowers were completely eliminated. And Georgia's ability to get the ball to Bowers using pre-snap motion and things like that uh, to kind of create open space for him clearly worked and i said hey going into this game on saturday after all loud mouths like me have been saying about brocktober this and brocktober that and blah 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 you better believe that that kentucky has the internet you better believe they've got access to all this stuff they know how good brock bowers is they're going to try to stop him so we said the job for georgia on saturday the job for mike bobo the offensive coordinator in particular was you got to find a way to get the ball to brock bowers when the other side knows that, when the other side is trying to take him away, and that is exactly what Georgia did. So 
credit to Brock Bowers, who I think right now is very real, very legitimately in the conversation to not just be a Heisman finalist. I believe he is in the conversation to win the award. That's what Brocktober is all about. By the end of this month, Bowers can be not just kind of a kind of a cool sort of a smart guy thing of like if you really know football you know how good Brock Bowers is I want household names to know I want I want you know casual fans to know I want everybody to be aware of how good Brock Bowers is and if he continues to play at this level that is what is going to be so Bowers once again on Saturday showed you absolutely how good of a player he is but he doesn't have that kind of success against a defense king to stop him unless Mike Bobo is also, as folks like to say these days, kind of in his own bag as well. And Bobo was diabolical on Saturday in terms of how he was drawing up everything here for Georgia. He deserves a lot of credit for that. And knowing what I said on Friday in terms of, man, you got to find a way to get him the ball even when the other side knows you're trying to get him the ball. If I could have been told then what Mark Stoops was going to say after the game, I would have said that is exactly what I want to hear. This would be the exact proof I would need that Georgia absolutely was was not just committed to getting the ball to Bowers, but strategic and creative enough to find a way to do that when a smart coaching staff was trying to take him away. I saw this quote. Uh, Mike Griffith had this in one of his stories at dognation.com in terms of what Mark Stoops said here. Uh, about Brock Bowers and the Georgia offensive game plan from Mike Bobo I compliment them with the way they were creating some plays we all look and say how in the world does a guy like Brock Bowers get so open right that's what you want to hear that's what we would have said after the Orange Bowl game how is Bowers so open Kentucky game once again Mark Stoop says people say how in the world does a guy like Brock Bowers get so open well some of it they're creating they did a nice job and they got us into some bad vision meaning we didn't know what to look at because they got so much going on Kirby Smart also said you credit the running game for this too he said this in his postgame uh, remarks that you can't just you know zone up and kind of bracket Bowers because if you do all of a sudden you become a little bit vulnerable to giving up stuff through the run but once again that's Mike Bobo finding a way to play both left-handed and right-handed finding a way to do both the run game and the passing game Saturday was an emphatic answer uh, from Mike Bobo to his critics. Now, maybe he's not paying as much attention to them as Carson Beck apparently was to those he felt like disrespected him. But if Bobo wanted to play the disrespect card on a day like this, you better believe he could do it because clearly on Saturday he answered all of that and a whole lot more. And he found a way to get Brock Bowers involved once again. And I believe that right now, all of the talk and all of the hype, we love to do that anyway because we're kind of into that kind of thing. We're loudmouths. Uh, I am anyway, you know, ringmaster, carnival barker type. I just enjoy that kind of thing. But just because I'm loud about it doesn't mean that it's not real. And just because I'm hyping it doesn't mean it isn't worthy of hype. Right now, Brock Bowers looks like the best player in college football. And Mike Bobo looks like an offensive coordinator who is quite capable and quite savvy in terms of how you use him. That's one of the things that made Saturday night so much fun to watch. And that is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window and Door of George. Now, before we're done, speaking of Brock Bowers, there was a weird way in which Brock Bowers kind of uh, uh, sort of bled into a recruiting storyline for Georgia on uh, the weekend. And I'm going to not talk too much about this, but I do feel like we got to at least address it. So we'll do that before we're done today. Uh, kind of a weird narrative around UGA recruiting, or at least a former UGA recruit, 
uh, what he said about Brock Bowers. Pretty strange on Saturday night. So we'll cover that before we are done on the program today. But for now, nothing but good stuff. Uh, Georgia absolutely dominant with its win over Kentucky. Perhaps restoring order, at least for now. Long season and humility is always a week away. But restoring order, perhaps at least for now, with the college football world. So let's react to everything that's going on after this Georgia win. We'll bring on a guy who I know enjoyed every minute of it. It's a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So, John, I kind of find myself, and first of all, thank you for being with us here on the show, I kind of find myself repeating the same thing a lot when it comes to Brock Bowers. We like having fun with, you know, making Brocktober and, you know, stuff like that. We like, you know, kind of just doing stuff like that. It's just sort of fun to have those little, you know, storylines pop up during the year. But just because I have a little bit of an exaggerating personality doesn't mean that this is exaggerated. John, Brock Bowers really is the best player in college football. And Kentucky's a smart coaching staff. That's a good team. And with the entire world knowing how much Georgia right now is obviously going to feed Brock, just given the way that he's playing, they still couldn't stop him. And we're going to get to the Carson Beck part of this and the other components of the Georgia offense, which we're also kind of firing at a very high level because that's all really important too. But this Bowers thing, it is real. It is happening. He is, to me right now, John, not just a candidate to be in New York. He is a candidate to win the trophy. I believe that Brock Bowers could absolutely win the Heisman Trophy this year. Do you agree? I do, and here's why. In years past, Georgia's been built in a fashion that you could not just isolate one player. And it was to Georgia's strength. And I I still think they're that way, but we have a – unique talent the the fact that brock is who he is a great blocker a great route runner great catching the ball in contested small spaces can run after the catch better than almost anyone in college football right right now running backs included and has incredible speed is smart enough to learn a playbook that features him at literally every weapon spot every skilled position spot across the offense, which I don't think gets enough credit just to understand spacing and alignment and then ability to create separation from the various positions that he plays. He is the featured player in an offense that is usually without a uh, singular focal point. And this year, he is by far, hands down, the centric figure of this offense and should be because there just aren't a lot of Brock Bowers floating around this world, right? It's like Lamar Jackson, when he came through, you know that even though he wasn't getting the, the pub that he probably deserved just because of where he was at, the skill set that he had was uniquely special. And that's who Brock is in today's college landscape. And listen, I'm also a realist here. I understand that if some major quarterback starts having an incredibly dominant season, well, at that point in time, then a lot of the low-information Heisman voters are just going to gravitate towards that, and they'll kind of turn their attention away from a tight end because, honestly, a tight end does have a hard time winning this award. We haven't seen one win one since 1949. That's obviously some historical precedent that you at least have to consider in a discussion like this. But, John, I follow this sport very, very closely, and here's what I'm telling you. Right now – I don't see that quarterback out there that's just going to start, you know, 
sucking everything into his gravitational orbit. You know, you would say, well, Caleb Williams can do that. Uh, he won the award a year ago. But, John, their defense is terrible. And th- th- it's a defense that's going to – I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm being real. Their defense is terrible. They're going to lose some games. And I think at that point in time, you know, we see a little bit of a bias against previous winners, rightly or not. We just sort of see that. I think eventually the bad nature of the USC defense, the fact they're not going to be a playoff contender, and the fact that he's already won the award is going to get folks shopping for somebody else. Quinn Ewers is somebody that I absolutely would have taken very seriously to win this award, and perhaps he's still you know, a major contender, but Texas lost on Saturday to Oklahoma. Uh, I think you got to, you know, look at that. We haven't really seen a real contender emerge yet from Ohio State. We may not. They're not quite as good on offense this year, at least it would seem. Michigan, to this point in time, has been content to play pretty slow. They're not really featuring anybody on offense. You know, I, I watch the sport closely, and one of the things that has me really believing in Bowers' candidacy, he could be the best player not win it, but this happens to be one of those years in which a guy like this being the best player probably gets proper consideration because there is no other guy out there who is obviously going to suck up a lot of the the casual attention. It doesn't seem like that that obvious candidate is necessarily emerging right now. Yeah, I, I agree. For a tight end to win the award, let's take the Georgia allegiance out of this. For a tight end to win this award, one, he has to have an exceptional, truly exceptional season. And two, there can't be a dominant statistical uh, leader at the quarterback position, right? It can't be somebody. Uh, the Heisman Trophy has become who's the best, who's got the best stats at those key positions primarily quarterback and right now aside from i would say Penix and and washington is the guy that i would think is that that front runner caleb williams because he won it last year i do think that there's a bias against winning it twice but you know for folks that don't see a lot of football it is really easy to just look at stat lines and say oh uh, he must be the best player. So it, it's going to be a battle that uh, is going to be a little bit uphill for any anybody that doesn't record stats every time they touch the ball, which is the quarterback. So uh, it's a challenge. With that said, to overcome those challenges takes a unique talent, and that's exactly who Brock Bowers is. I also spent some time before you joined us talking about Carson Beck and – my uh, John, he was just so impressive on Saturday, and he's been good this year. We've kind of said that for a while, that this is one of those things that Georgia fans, I think, collectively mostly got right, which is that, you know, post-Auburn game, our post-game show, which can be a pretty tough crowd to please sometimes, just to be completely honest, as a lot of college football fan bases can be. I don't say that negatively. I'm just being, re- you know, just being honest. Um, they were very complimentary of, of Beck, as the phrase went, growing up at Auburn. And I think that that Beck has been winning over this Georgia fan base a lot over the course of the first five games of the year. And then Saturday kind of put it all together uh, for a Georgia offense that was really firing on all cylinders. Because the fun thing about Saturday was, you know, Auburn game, it was sort of like Brock Bowers or you lose, right? I mean, like you had to have Bowers put the team on his back. Otherwise, you're talking about, you know, a winning streak coming to an end. Well, Saturday was Brock Bowers plus this and this and this and this. 
this was a fully operational battle station for Georgia on Saturday. Beck not just throwing to Bowers, but getting Ra-Ra involved, a guy that I really like right now. You saw the kind of the the sort of twin killers that are running back again with Milton now healthy and uh, Dejon Edwards. Their yards per carry numbers were nice on Saturday. What did you like about the rest of the Georgia offense, in other words? Yeah, I, I think this was a statement game for Georgia. It's also uh, how we said Coach Bobo and Carson Beck are going to be evaluated. They're not going to be evaluated when it, it's against a much lesser opponent. They're going to be evaluated on how the offense performs in big games. This, at least on paper, going into the week, was a big game. It is an undefeated Kentucky team that's hungry, that looks dangerous, that you know, was able to run wherever they wanted to across the field against Florida the week before, and they're a physical team. So this was a the first quote-unquote test for Georgia. And you, by the middle of the second quarter, you recognize that we've got all the answers. We've got the cheat sheet to this test because Georgia is killing it. And that's that's how the quarterback, the offensive coordinator, that's how they are, should be and are evaluated is, how did you perform in big games? Carson Beck was on fire. And his biggest critique, as his body of work grows, has been can he hit an open wide receiver for a big play? And he was hitting receivers everywhere across the field, with the exception of the one interception where, you know, you get a little confidence. You're like, maybe I can fit it in this tight little window. And you go, well, this is, you know, there is some reality to playing this position that. Uh, can be humbling at times that maybe there are some throws that uh, you don't make or don't attempt. But aside from that, this was a statement game for Georgia's offense. This was a statement game for all the critics of Mike Bobo. And more importantly, this was a statement game for Carson Beck for any naysayers that still exist that question whether or not Georgia has their next quarterback that follows Stetson Bennett. That case is closed. Carson Beck is your guy, and you should feel really good about who is uh, has the controls of the offense when it's a combination of Mike Bobo and Carson Beck. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And just a quick follow up to that, you know, like the one thing we said after the South Carolina game was is that Georgia State needs to score more points against SEC teams, and you know that to me is always one of the more predictive stats because that's what Georgia did so well for the previous you know three years of you know, against what you kind of think of as on paper, the tougher teams that you're playing, Georgia just very consistently put up pretty big scoring numbers in all those games because that's what indicates your ability to really score when it matters later on in, in, in a kind of a postseason situation is kind of what you're doing on kind of a per game basis in the SEC. And so that to me, John, uh, is why Saturday was so valuable because I think it does now show you what the ceiling for this team can be. Now, can you match this level of play for an entire season? You might not be able to, but it's still pretty important to establish your ceiling too. And 50 against Kentucky, that's the kind of offense that'll that'll take you pretty deep into December and January, I believe. Yeah, and it's, we haven't seen that yet. This was the most complete yep. performance from this Georgia football team that we've seen all year. It's not, well, the reason why they're ranked number one is because of you know their past two seasons. This was a statement of who we have in our locker room, the playmakers that we put on the field, the schemes that we run, they are, they are effective. The reason why Georgia's ranked number one is because they should be the number one ranked team in the country. 
they have the players, they perform at a high level. When it matters most, they show up and, and take care of business in ways that no other team can. There's not a more complete team, and we could not have said that with a straight face or with complete confidence until what we, until we saw what we did on Saturday. I think this game against Kentucky, for anyone, and I'm included, and everyone really should be, like we still need to see it. Well, we've seen it now. Yep. And now it's a matter of consistently in these big games because you earn the opportunity to play in big games by winning the previous big games that you've played in. The more you play in them and you perform the way Georgia did, it just solidifies that claim that you're looking at the best uh, of what college football has to offer. No, I think that's exactly right. I want to talk about the other side of the ball here in a moment. Prior to that, let me remind folks, this is our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb here today. And if you have not yet become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club, well, you need to. I'll tell you this. Uh, I had lunch at Marlowe's. I was at the Avalon location uh, one day last week. It was phenomenal. I had the French dips uh, uh, sandwich for lunch. It was absolutely delicious. And uh, I just think that's the kind of thing that you ought to be doing on a regular basis, right? And when you do that, when you enjoy the chef-inspired food, the craft cocktails, the things that has made Marlowe's Tavern famous and beloved by so many folks here in our Dog Nation daily audience, when you're doing that, why, why not get some great incentives for doing that? Because when you sign up to become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club, free to join, by the way, you're going to get $10 off a $30 order at your local Marlowe's just for being a part of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club. And after that, you earn what we call qualified visits, which means you go and you spend at least $15 on food or beverage. And when you get four of those qualified visits, well, after that, you're going to earn a complimentary entree for up to $20 that can be used on your next visit. And you get free incentives on your birthday and things like that. Just really, really fun stuff. And it's free to join. So become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club online at marlowestavern.com today. All right, John, let's flip the... Uh, I guess side of the ball here and look at the defense here for a moment because you know statistically this side of the ball looks really good now early game Ray Davis had a couple of successful runs and maybe there was this thought of "Uh oh here we go again perhaps Georgia's going to be vulnerable and yet Georgia really bowed its back prevented that from being an issue Kirby Smart after the game said yeah maybe I saw a couple things I didn't love but Kirby was also pretty calm after last week saying go back and look at what georgia did against auburn you know not quite as i think he said state of depression not quite as depressed as he was initially that that things actually weren't all that bad maybe and maybe the building blocks were in place and georgia goes out and plays pretty complete game what did you make of the uh, defense in particular and what it was able to do against a kentucky team that had had some offensive success coming into saturday night yeah full full overall performance you see what it should be, right? I mean, you see Georgia was able to suffocate a running offense, a rush offense that dominated previous opponents, Florida included the week prior. And there were times where you're going, ooh, there's an open wide receiver behind our behind our cornerbacks. I'm glad he missed that throw. And, you know, that, that happened a couple of times throughout the game. And Davis did have a couple of runs. But the body of work that Georgia's defense did was convincing. And that's reflected in the score. When it mattered most, they show up and they played. And, and that's yeah, like offensive line play. Uh, defenses are evaluated similarly. It's, it's consistency. Can you consistently shut down uh, your opponent? And that's what Georgia did. You look at 
some some of the plays that happened. Obviously, that Warren Brinson uh, roughing the passer was total garbage. Uh, yeah. But just overall, the, we don't have that one player. You know, we don't have the Brock Bowers on the defensive side. We don't have a Jalen Carter out there. We don't have uh, the the trust that Nolan Smith and uh, Robert Beals Jr earned over their body of work at that outside linebacker position for some of the containment things that uh, we don't have that quite yet but they are playing really good football and that you see flashes from some of these younger guys of what could be and what's developing as this season goes on similar to what we saw from younger guys Last season, specifically offensively, where you're going, oof, as, as they develop throughout the season, this is going to be exciting. I see the same things from young defensive players. that are You're getting flashes of it, and they're earning more opportunities to be on the field and contribute in meaningful ways. As much as Georgia rotates players, specifically in the box, that matters. And they're earning reps, they're earning opportunities, and and are doing so in convincing fashion. Is there still things that you'd like to see? Absolutely. I'd like to see pass rush that's not generated by five- and six-man pressures, right? But the overall body of work, the uh, consistency of of stopping the run, putting Kentucky in, in difficult positions, where it's third and long and second and long situations because of early success, uh, that is that's convincing to me. There is reason to believe that in these big games against a talented offense, that Georgia can step up and and perform at a very high level. Let me just also follow up on that with one final thing too. The one name specifically I want to mention after Saturday's game on the defensive side of the ball is linebacker Jamon Dumas Johnson and John. He's a guy that's really been in the crosshairs for a lot of Georgia fans. A lot of Georgia fans have kind of felt that uh, Dumas Johnson has not had the kind of year this year thus far that they expected him to have. Smart mentioned a health issue for him. Perhaps that helps explain it if it's even true. Sometimes these kinds of things become narrative without necessarily the evidence to support the 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 discussion that that's taking place. But whether it was true, wasn't true, whether the discussion was fair or not, Looked to me that Jamon Dumas Johnson had himself a very good game on Saturday. Had a sack and a half. Uh, you know, very active. I thought. What did you make of the Jamon Dumas Johnson performance? And I guess how aware were you of some of the criticism out there? How fair did you perhaps think that it was? And how nice was it to also see? No matter what the truth of the matter was, is that Dumas Johnson really offered a strong response to any of that? To me, anyway, by the way that he played on Saturday. Yeah, I think this game was set up for him. I think he's a little bit of a throwback uh, in, in linebacker play because he's more physical. He's more downhill. He's more of a box-controlling, power-based player, uh, which is a throwback to, to a, a yesteryear. I mean, most linebackers today are safeties that can run and cover and, you know, they're sideline to sideline and then can step up and fill a hole if need be, but that certainly isn't their forte. Uh, Pop, if you will, I think, one, I'm not in that locker room. I, I can't speak with certainty, but I certainly think he has the respect 
of his teammates and is seen as a leader on that on that side of the ball, which uh, matters. It, it certainly matters to the guys that surround him. They believe in him, and the way Kentucky plays ball set up for we need a guy like Pop. We need we need him to be able to fill those gaps and and not be. We knew Kentucky was going to play a physical style of football, and having a guy like Jamon in the middle set the tone. Uh, I see the results of that based on Saturday that, man, he made a big difference. And I, he would be the first to tell you. He hasn't played at the level that he's wanted to as a complete body of work this season, whether it's injury-related or not. You know, you're expected to perform at a high level if you're going to be out there. That's just the expectation of Georgia football and the standard that's been set. So he had a big game and has earned that. And, you know, it was set up in a way where it's almost expected. I expect him and those physical, you know, be, we got to stop the run. They're going to try to lean on folks. Well, that's, that's right up his alley. And he answered that bell and, and, did so with uh exceptional fashion john great stuff we appreciate your insight as a part of a marlowe's tavern insider update today thank you so much fun to be talking about a big strong georgia performance and also fun to consider where this team perhaps can go from here and we'll look forward to talking to you about all of that once again next week enjoy it ba go dogs yes sir let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah, obviously the challenge now for George is finding a way to maintain this or at least playing as close to what we kind of thought was, you know, sort of a top-end style performance as close as possible the rest of the season. And, you know, clearly there are some challenges out there. Some of that we're going to get to here coming up in just a moment. But nice to see Georgia showing you at least how good that it can be because, as John, I think, correctly pointed out, that's the one thing we had not really seen yet this year. We just had not seen that kind of top-end performance from UGA, which makes first – five six games of the 2023 season very very different than what the first you know handful of games in the 2022 season had been because georgia played a high profile game against oregon a road game against south carolina they flexed then and as you've heard us say once you kind of flex early in the year when you kind of go into a cave after that well people still have the perception of well georgia is obviously as good as it wants to be because we've seen what they can do they just for whatever reason didn't play that way on saturday but until you have seen that what you are left to wonder well how good can this team be really well saturday was kind of an emphatic response to that question we believe and fun to watch how the next six games of the regular season kind of play out now based on what georgia did in kind of a spotlight game against kentucky on saturday night now with that in mind we'll get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean i am proud to say at least i am excited i'm in anticipation of what i what sounds like there could be a little chatter about the possibility uh, that perhaps B.A. will be able to, go, if you don't mind me going third person for a second, uh, on an early voyage for Icon of the Seas. Many of you know this. Icon of the Seas debuts January of 2024. Largest cruise ship ever constructed. It's going to be an unbelievable experience, kind of taking what Royal Caribbean's already done at an amazing level and putting it at an even higher level going forward. Brand new concepts, restaurant-wise, bar and lounge-wise. Just the, the design of the ship is going to be a little bit different. Some of this is almost hard for me to imagine. I'm dying to see it. 
And there's some chatter out there that I might be able to get a chance to see it. So I'll tell you more about that as it becomes uh, available, as details become available. I know that's as important to you all as it is for me, my, my hopes of going on Icon of the Seas. So I'll tell you about that. But for now, you can do it. Whether I make it on board or not, you can be there. Our friend Jessica Slater, terrific travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. She can help you do it. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Also, email her jay slater at dreamvacations.com once again jay slater at dreamvacations.com should get you set up and ready to go for a great royal caribbean cruise vacations we head towards this holiday time of year or early 2024 uh she's got you covered on all of that now with that said let's go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean most significant outcome in the sec on saturday arguably may have been alabama going on the road and beating texas a&m now there is something to be said about the Alabama side of this, and obviously we'll get there. But to me, the big takeaway here is the ultimate failure of A&M to win a game like this that seemed to be as set up for them as it's ever going to be against this particular opponent in its own state. Now, obviously, A&M has beaten Alabama before, but the stakes of this win would have been so much greater. It would have made A&M a legitimate SEC West contender, and it would have given Jimbo Fisher the cachet of potentially saying, that he was the coach that toppled Nick Saban sort of fully, finally, and completely. Because if Alabama loses a second game on the first Saturday in October, there's kind of no coming back from that, you probably think anyway. At least it would be very difficult to come back from that. And it certainly would have been a blow to the perception of Alabama. So this was the biggest game that Jimbo Fisher had ever coached at Texas A&M. And he coached the game like a coward. I, I just don't know how you can say it other than that. When you look at a situation, it's 17-17 about midway through the third quarter of this game. Your, your stadium's rocking. You know, your defense is playing pretty well. You know, you've got a chance to win. And A&M had been playing good football. With the exception of the loss to Miami, A&M's been playing some pretty good football here this season. And, you know, you run the ball in third and two, you don't get it. So now you're setting up a fourth and one. And you choose to punt it like, you know, you're technically near midfield, but you're actually on their side of the field, right? You are on, you know, in Alabama territory, if you will, here, marching towards what could be potentially a score, and you choose to punt it right there on a fourth and one situation. And after the game, the explanation for Fisher does him no favor, saying, well, if it had been fourth and less than a yard, we probably would have gone for it. You think? Would you have? I mean, this is just one of those things of, for a guy who the knock on him the entire time he's been there is, his conservative tendencies, his careful tendencies, his, you know, sort of plotting old school tendencies have just held back Texas A&M. It's the reason that Bobby Petrino is here at uh, College Station, because Jimbo Fisher just hasn't been willing to embrace certain kind of aggressive offensive tactics that would give his team the best chance to win. And once again, on Saturday, another example of that, that even after hiring Petrino and doing all this kind of stuff, once again, Fisher kind of betrayed here by his own instincts and this is the game that I think is going to stick with him for a long time when the ultimate story is kind of told of what I believe is going to end up being one of the biggest financial failures in recent college football history the money ultimately spent on Fisher and will eventually be spent on buying him out and the lack of results that come from that investment when all that story is told I believe a very significant part of that will be this particular game right here 
when he had a chance to win, when he had a chance to make the sort of bold strokes required of brave head coaches to give his team the chance, even though that the points pro is actually fairly narrow. And for the most part, this was kind of on paper, a relatively even game between relatively evenly matched teams. Perception wise, A&M was a huge underdog. This is one of those things where the stats and the player personnel and all of that doesn't perhaps tell the full story of exactly what was going on with A&M in Alabama. And the fact that A&M played them close last year in Tuscaloosa doesn't change that. The fact that A&M beat them in 2021 doesn't change that. Perception-wise, this was A&M trying to topple a giant. And you don't topple a giant by punting on their side of the field in the third quarter in a tie game. Bama gets the football, marches down, takes the lead, and never looks back. A lot of Alabama fans are going to try to spin this as, oh, they had us dead and buried, but look, we're, we're back. This is not a story about Alabama. This is a story about Texas A&M. And we're going to get to the uh, Texas-Oklahoma thing in a minute. Those teams are coming into the SEC next year. And there are a lot of programs that are going to be forced to consider. Do we have the right coach knowing that our last easy day was yesterday and that this league's about to get so much tougher? One of the teams that should be asking that question, no matter how expensive the buyout is, is Texas A&M. Fisher betrayed the Aggies on Saturday. Now, on the Alabama side of this, for a quick moment, um, obviously Bama has kind of restored its own sense of balance in the SEC West. Is this a great football team? I don't believe so. Is this uh, a team in keeping with the typical teams that Nick Saban's had at Alabama, even the last couple of teams that have fell short of expectations? I don't believe uh, that's the case either. But they do have an inside track now to be 11-1 and at the end of the year to win the SEC West in the final year divisional play and to give us Georgia and Alabama for like one more time as an East winner and a West winner at the SEC championship. So I don't know how good Alabama is right now. I do suspect, as I've been saying, this is a program that slipped. But I do think that Alabama's win on Saturday makes the SEC championship feel bigger potentially now. Now, there's still things that can happen in the SEC West. Jaden Daniels is certainly good enough that, you know, uh, he could potentially you know, pull the upset against Alabama and throw the league back into chaos. I, I guess that's a possibility. But Alabama's road win has probably restored a sense of balance there. you got to think. And if that does continue towards December, then the SEC championship will feel bigger. If it is a 12-0 Georgia against an 11-1 Alabama, that's going to feel like a pretty big game. And that may be the end result of Alabama's road win there at Texas A&M. Staying in the state for a moment and going to the uh, Red River shootout, won by Oklahoma on Saturday. By the way, we kind of called this, we said that we feel like Texas is a playoff team. And honestly, my overall opinion of Texas has not changed very much by the loss to Oklahoma. I still feel like the Texas is among the very best teams in the country. But we did say Oklahoma, one of the benefits that it has going into that game was they played a relatively soft schedule, which gives them more of a chance to, you know, kind of be ready for a game like this and kind of put everything into a game like that, especially the extra motivation that probably comes knowing that Texas embarrassed Oklahoma uh, last season. The biggest win for Brent Venables thus far as the Oklahoma coach, and it's perhaps not even close. Uh, it's definitely not even close. And for Dylan Gabriel, who I think we've been kind of suggesting, eventually you got to replace him. You got to go to Jackson Arnold at quarterback. I mean, Dylan Gabriel made a big uh, sort of case for himself on Saturday there as well. Uh, this is a much improved Oklahoma team. Uh, there were a lot of moments last year with Venables in his first year as the Oklahoma coach that to me made him sort of look like he's not really fit for all this right now, not really capable of, of what that job required, especially in light of losing Lincoln Riley. And all of a sudden now, the vibe around that's completely different. 
that when you think about what's coming into the SEC next year, it's not just Texas, it's Oklahoma there as well. And listen, for a long time, those of us who are very pro-SEC homer types, we've kind of turned our nose up on certain aspects of Big 12-style football. What I saw on Saturday in Dallas wasn't really that, though. I saw a Texas team and an Oklahoma team that both look like pretty tough outs in the SEC next year. They are coming, and they are, to a certain extent, changing the landscape of this league. This is a very good football game. And I, I guess you got to probably ask the question here, Okay, so Oklahoma wins on a neutral against Texas here. Now, keep in mind that the Big 12 title game is just the two teams that have the best record in the league, which right now would stand to be Texas and Oklahoma in a rematch. What do you do if, like, both teams end up 12-1 and with a win against each other on a neutral field? Like, how do you separate that? So let's say Oklahoma wins – and obviously there's a lot of football still be left to be decided here. But if Oklahoma wins Saturday, neutral field, Texas wins the Big 12 title game, they're the Big 12 champ, but it wouldn't be right to give them too much deference for that, knowing all they really did was just win a different neutral site game from the one that Oklahoma won earlier in the year. Is there a possibility in this kind of final year of this version of the Big 12? The Big 12 could be in play for two playoff teams. I don't know if Oklahoma's quite good enough to, to be in that discussion. Perhaps Texas, maybe more so. But uh, we have some very interesting playoff stuff to sift through here. And the possibility of a rematch between two teams that both look to be among the nation's best on Saturday is probably something uh, worth considering there. And I'll make one final point about this game, too, which is one of the interesting wars of words that's been going on around college football now is how Oklahoma fans feel about Lincoln Riley. Uh, mad at him for the way in which he left. And by the way, Riley's decision to run scared from the SEC has never looked wiser than it perhaps does right now. He is just not a coach that would fit into this league at all. They don't play any defense whatsoever, as Oklahoma teams didn't, as USC teams don't. Uh, USC won uh, a game on Saturday night in overtime, but frankly, I think they ought to feel pretty embarrassed by it against Arizona. Averages grits Arizona, if not worse than that, mediocre, worse than that. And... USC just can't stop anybody. They just can't. Caleb Williams is very good. Probably a very deserving number one overall pick, I think, anyway. But uh, USC just can't stop anybody. And there is a chance that it seemed like last year, because Williams wins the Heisman Trophy and Riley has a relatively successful first year, that it sort of seemed like Riley was getting last laugh against Oklahoma after he left Oklahoma. But the world turns pretty fast in college football, and perhaps Oklahoma eventually gets its own way to reason to laugh at Lincoln Riley because right now USC does not look have the look of a top flight team despite the fact they're still undefeated and I would say Oklahoma very much does now one final point here for all the coaching talk of well this guy hurt his team and that guy did whatever else I don't know that any coach in the history of college football has hurt his team worse than what Mario Cristobal did uh for for Miami Saturday night against Georgia Tech now we say this all the time but it's bearing it bears repeating here once again college football is just the strangest sport there is and this is why we all love it so much last week you know eight days ago uh georgia tech was losing by double digits they lost by double digits to bowling green and then they go on the road and win outright as a three touchdown underdog at miami a miami team that had been playing well that beaten texas a&m this is a team that's been playing well and the end result is when we were leaving the postgame show 
I was telling our on-site producer, I was like, I got to try to figure out what happened in this Miami-Georgia Tech game because it was obvious that something crazy had happened, but it wasn't obvious, at least when you're trying to scroll and sort of see what people are saying, it wasn't obvious exactly what that was. And you find out with 30-something seconds to go with the opportunity to take a knee and run out the clock, Miami chooses Mario Cristobal, the head coach, allows a rushing play to be called. Should never have happened. Should have taken a knee. Tim Hasselback, the game analyst, was calling this out in the moment about how idiotic and dumb that it was fumble occurs tech then scores and by the way haynes king listen we're not georgia tech fans obviously here how many sec teams right now would haynes king start for you got to think the answer is a few you got to don't you uh auburn florida at least uh, i think haynes king right now would be starting for a handful of sec teams missouri's doing well i believe haynes king would probably be starting for missouri too though uh I mean, <laughs> he's having a pretty good year for tech leads them on a scoring drive Miami loses one of the most embarrassing games anyone's ever lost. Uh, what makes it worse is apparently Cristobal had the same thing happen for him as Oregon coach back in 2018 when they're playing Stanford. Once again, choosing not to take a knee and down the ball, just horrid, terrible clock management. Miami fans are beside themselves, and you would think they have a reason to be. This was perhaps the most talked about moment of the weekend. Certainly on late Saturday nights, all anybody was talking about. What a disaster, and we'll make that cruise run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And uh, that also kind of leads us into our final topic on our show today, uh, because fresh off of the embarrassing Saturday night loss, perhaps Cristobal playing the card that sometimes coaches do which is find a way to get some good news on the heels of some epic bad news nye Carr, the former georgia wide receiver commit commits to miami fresh off recently decommitting from georgia now let me be very candid here just for a moment there is one thing i am very old-fashioned about probably more old-fashioned than maybe i should be we don't talk bad about recruits we just don't you can go to Georgia, you can go to wherever. We just don't do that because I am 40-something years old, and I am just not going to talk bad about a kid. And at, for a long time, that has sort of made a lot of sense because you know I am an adult professional. These are unpaid amateurs. Well, now in the NIL age, especially in the case of this particular recruit, Nike R, um, <laughs> the idea of being an unpaid amateur <laughs> is probably a romantic notion at best. Uh, you know, given the way all, all, all of this seems to be uh, playing out here right now. And yet, for me, old habits kind of die hard. I'm just going to be very careful about being critical of any player who's a recruit because of the age gap between me and them. It just seems like a very weird thing to do. But there was a tweet. Many of you have seen this. It has been deleted by Nikar. And while I am not going to use this as fodder to criticize him personally or criticize him in particular, I do think it's instructive of how we – who care about Georgia football should sort of view certain situations around this team. We talked and we have been talking. This is the month of Brocktober. Brocktober. And by the way, it's kind of fun to see uh, people kind of getting on board with the whole Brocktober idea. Now that's really fun. Uh, we, we think that Brock Bowers is best player in college football. He proved that once again there on Saturday. It would seem like when you see a player like that, a, a, a playmaker who is being utilized to his fullest potent, potential by an offensive coordinator like Mike Bobo, it seems like any young football player would perhaps want to be a part of that and want to have a chance to be used that way. Whether or not you want to go to Georgia or not, it seems like almost any football player would be inspired by the kind of success a guy like Bowers is having because, y'all, Bowers is going to be a top five pick. He may be number two 
two overall. He's not going to be drafted number one overall. That's going to be a quarterback. But anything after that, I believe, is in play for Brock Bowers. This is a special football player, and you would think anyone who spends time watching football would recognize that. Well, on Saturday night in a tweet that's been deleted, so perhaps cooler heads prevailing, Nikar, who's now committed to Miami. Let me show you what uh, was put out there on Twitter. This was widely shared. Um, and it's hard to understand exactly what he means by this, but he says a hundred times to a tight end is crazy. Why would I do that? I play wide receiver. He then deleted this and I'm not going to use this as fodder for criticizing Carr. Honestly, I wish him well. That's fine. I think he's a really good player. Um, I, I think he's got a very bright future and we've said many times we wish that was at Georgia. So we're not going to change our tune on that necessarily. Carr is the kind of guy you'd like to have at UGA, but Georgia is Georgia because of the connection piece that exists here. Kirby Smart talked about that again on Saturday. He said something to the effect of, y'all may not think this is real, or people may not understand this is real, but we just feel more connected. And if you have a player that could come to Georgia, and he views the success as Brock, that Brock Bowers is having as some sort of negative because as Bowers does what he's doing, that's less touches that would go for him, then without being critical of the player in particular, I just think it's fair to say that player is just better off somewhere else. And I say this as someone who desperately wants Georgia to kind of step up and win with the elite wide receivers in a way that it hasn't done here thus far. But there's no free lunch in life. You can't have everything all at once. And you do have to have players that sometimes recognize, hey, while I personally want to be great, I am in the midst of someone else who's actually achieving greatness. And sometimes that greatness creates an opportunity for me. But at other times, I'm going to stand back and appreciate what's happening before my eyes. And that's the kind of season that Brock Bowers is having. That's the kind of career that Brock Bowers is having. So I hate to see Nikar leave. But if this is his feeling about Brock Bowers, or if this is what his perception would be of playing with Brock Bowers, then leaving is the right place for him to go. But I hope the money that Miami allegedly is going to give him is worth it and spends well because to be the positive spin on the embarrassing loss they had on Saturday night, oh boy, be careful what you're doing if you get involved with that. So just a quick final point there on that. We wish him well. We don't have bad words to say about him, but pretty clearly Georgia's got a certain kind of player that it's looking for, and perhaps that might not be the best fit here at a place like UGA. With that said, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's program. And we have got a lot of golden shoes. As you would imagine, almost all of these are Brocktober themed, and you love that. So let's throw the first one up here for today. Uh, how about this? In keeping with the tradition of uh, apparel that uh, kind of based on some of the stuff from our show, uh, Allie Moody Powell, you love this. Hashtag welcome to Brocktober at Talk Nation Daily. She has the Brocktober sweatshirt made up. How much do you love that from Allie? Having a good time? Uh, you love nothing more than the wonderful, wonderful all-day all day tailgate there in uh, Athens. Allie having a good time doing that. Good-looking Brocktober t-shirt there. She's having a good time with that. Uh, Allie, we will give you a well-deserved golden shoe for that, spreading the good news about Brocktober. Uh, our buddy Mad Dog also checks in. He wins a golden shoe there as well, saying a quick uh, reminder of what Georgia does to Mark Stoops. That's right, Kirby Smart, give him a real paddling. You love that from Mad Dog, funny as always. Another golden shoe going out here. Uh, Brian Whitehead will write in to say, thanks for using my daughter's picture on uh, Dog Nation. So the uh, Whitehead children make their It's Brocktober in Athens sign, number 19. Uh, Dog Nation picked that up, took a picture of them. So Brian has a good time with that. Once again, it's a wonderful picture. And anybody right now using that Brocktober 
uh, hashtag or the Brocktober, uh, any kind of Brocktober imagery is going to give you an easy golden shoe and probably get you featured in Dog Nation there as well. Brian, you love to see that well-earned golden shoe going out to your daughters for their really, really fun Brocktober sign. Another golden shoe now. Even the official Georgia account gave you the Brocktober tweet on Saturday. Rob Smith shared that with me. You love to see that. And I also showed this. How much do you love the Brock Bowers flex on his touchdown on Saturday? Brock's a pretty mild-mannered guy, but even he's kind of feeling it right now, as he probably should. Brock, perhaps, in the spirit of Brocktober, as much as anybody else possibly could be. Then one more for today. Uh, Popeye writes in uh, to give you a little Brocktoberfest beer. I love it, man. I love it. Everybody having a good time with Brocktober. F- <laughs> with Brocktober right now uh Brock Bowers propelling Georgia clearly the number one team in the country we think Bowers is clearly the best player in the country life is good around dog nation today and some great golden shoes to celebrate all of that now finally Gator hater countdown Florida gets a win against Measley Vanderbilt on Saturday but it is just the calm before the storm for them because bad things are happening 19 days from right now that is our Gator hater countdown because the team that beat Florida just lost by darn near half a hundred to Georgia. That is bad news to be a lousy, stinking gator. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, window and door of Georgia.